When you were a child, I don't know if you ever experienced what it was like to get left behind. Now, some of you may have heard, I think I told it some years ago, the story about me getting left at a mall in Honolulu and uh, found these precious older ladies that, you know, saw me and uh, I may or may not have been crying when they found me, I don't know, but uh, uh, the Honolulu police got involved and then here came my mother with this incredibly worried look on her face and so uh, and so I know she was embarrassed that, uh, that she left her kid in one of those stores and there I was wandering around the mall looking for mom. Then there was the time that, uh, that I came back from a Boy Scout camp out. And I remember uh, being in that, the, the sponsoring church. We all went back. It was a Sunday afternoon. We'd spent the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday night, uh, actually sleeping in a cave. And uh, came back from this camp out on Sunday afternoon. And all the other Boy Scouts, they got picked up. They got to go home. And there I was, standing there. And standing there, and standing there, and uh, and I'm sure I was just filled with grace and mercy when they finally arrived to pick me up. He says in his most sarcastic voice, and and then there were those times that, like Mom said, "Hey Jeff, pick up your brother after school today because he needs to go to the dentist office," and and, uh, and then Jeff would forget. And so there I'd be standing there. And the fact that I can remember all of these events with such vivid detail, I'm sure has no bearing on what it did to my emotion or my psyche, right? Uh, You know, and if you ever did that, no, it doesn't make you the worst parent in the world. But if your child grows up with a fear complex of loneliness, who happens to talk too much and overshare, don't say I didn't warn you, okay? Alright, now all that said, when Jesus was left behind, he knew exactly what to do about it. He knew exactly where to be and was already showing signs of his calling. And so I invite you to join me in Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So the title of this morning's message is In Favor with God and Man. And what Scotty read to us this morning from Proverbs chapter 3, that same phrase is used. And it's used a few different times throughout Holy Scripture. But we find that Jesus is left behind. Now the first thing we should take from this is that we are told that his parents went every year. Now church family, what that should be telling us is that Mary and Joseph were faithful. They were faithful to their faith. They were faithful to God. That it wasn't something they did on occasion. It wasn't something they did some years and not others. But they made it a point that every year at the time of the Passover, they would make the pilgrimage, they would make the trek to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And so on this occasion, they leave to come home. And Luke tells us that they're thinking that he's with other relatives, with other folks that they're traveling with. And that there should tell us something. That this is not just the family going, that these are families traveling together. This is a faith community of believers who are coming from their home together. If any of you have ever gone on vacation... Maybe you go to the beach, and maybe it's not just one automobile. Maybe it's two, it's three, it's four. And maybe you know what it's like for your child to not be in your vehicle because they want to ride in their friend's vehicle. That's the image that I get with these folks traveling back and forth uh, from the Passover. That The fact that Jesus was not physically present with their eyes on him was not a big deal to them. That he was somewhere among the families that were traveling together. And then at some point they realize, hey, where is he? I don't know. I thought you had him. I don't know. I thought he was back there with so-and-so. And so they start asking around, has anybody seen him? No, I haven't seen him since we left Jerusalem. So now it's that, oh my goodness. It's that, oh my goodness, we left him back in Jerusalem. And so now they're going along the way, wondering at what point, did he ever make it out of the city with anybody? Trying to retrace their steps. And then when they find him, there he is saying... Well, as if to say, why are you so surprised? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? I know in my translation it said in my father's house. I know some of yours, and the one I grew up reading said, be about my father's business. Personally, I like that translation better. To be about the father's business. Because church, it's not enough to be in the Father's house. You may have heard the saying, 
that sitting in a church building doesn't make you a follower of Jesus any more than sitting in your garage makes you an automobile, right? It's not about just being here. It's about listening to the truth of God's Word. It's about surrendering to the point that God's Word transforms us. That we are called to be something different than what our human nature would call us to be. Because yes, we fight against our human nature every single day, don't we? We fight against, let's just call it what it is, our sinful nature. And so, and so yes, being in the Father's house is a start. But we are called to be about the Father's business. Now when I read this portion of Luke chapter 2, what I see is a faith community. A faith community that is invested in their children. A faith community that is invested in having the children with them. And a faith community that understands what it means to teach their children. We know that, that the, the Jews were instructed in what is known as the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And in that paragraph of Scripture there, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, I believe it is, it goes on to say, Teach these things to your what, church? To your children. You know, write them on your hearts. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And they don't mean that, of course, in a literal sense. But they mean that this should be, you, you should take heart of these things. The truths of God's Word should be a part of you. That it should be as if, as if it, you live in such a way that it's as if it's written on the door of your home. That when people enter your home, they know that they are entering the home of people who have faith. Of people who act as if they have faith. Now, what does it mean then for us to not just be in the Father's house, but to be about the Father's business? Well, there's different ways of going about that. And I think it's illustrated beautifully in Scripture by looking at two brothers. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. Now, I want us to begin with verse 35. And it mentions John here. This is John the Baptist. John 1 verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. 
and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Now, we just sang those songs, didn't we? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it what, church? Shine. And we also sang that song that says, Go tell it on the... Yeah. So, Andrew has an encounter with the Messiah. What's the first thing he does? He goes and gets his brother. It's Andrew that introduces Peter to Jesus. Think about that. Peter, the guy who would have enough faith to get out of the boat and at least make an honest attempt at walking on water, right? The guy that would preach at Pentecost, and we know that 3,000 people responded that day. The guy that was bold enough to stand there looking at the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts and say, hey... Y'all release us. We're going to walk out that door and we're going to keep telling people about Jesus. The Sanhedrin had said, okay, we can't really arrest them. We can't do anything with them. But we'll warn them not to... You know, they need to stop talking about Jesus. He's dead and gone, dadgummit. Just, just, they just need to stop this. But no. After they warn him, he looks up at him and says, no, no. You let me out that door, I'm going to tell people about Jesus Christ. Yeah, that Peter, the one who was so bold, but he has this brother, Andrew. Andrew, who's the one who kind of quietly, behind the scenes, says, Hey, brother. We have met the Messiah. I think, I mean, you need to come meet this guy. It's Andrew who in John chapter 12, who when some Greeks show up, that he's the one, and they're looking for Jesus, that he's the one who goes and introduces these folks to Jesus. He says, here's the one you're looking for. Jesus, I'd like to introduce you to these Greek fellows. They're looking for you. It was Andrew who, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, comes and says, Hey, there's this boy here whose mama prepared him for the day. There's this boy here who has loaves and fish. And so we see, it's not just a one-time thing with Andrew, is it, church? 
we get a sense of a pattern here, a peek into Andrew's way of doing things. There's Brother Peter out there boldly getting out of the boat, whacking off somebody's ear in the garden, doing Peter things, right? But then there's Andrew saying, oh, that Peter. Oh, that Peter. And Andrew doing the work of the Lord, being about the Father's business, not out there in front of everybody, not doing the in-your-face bold stuff, but who shows us what it's like to be kind of behind the scenes, quietly serving. One-on-one interpersonal relationships. Introducing people to Jesus in a more quiet way, right? Hey, you want to meet Jesus? Come on, here he is. Jesus, I've got somebody that would like to meet you. And so we're called, church, to be about the Father's business. And here we are at the end of the calendar year, in the holiday season, at a time where we have lights and poinsettias and and different things in the building to remind us. You know, big old tree in the lobby that remind us that this is a special time of the year. It's the time of the year that we celebrate, along with a lot of the world, the birth of a Savior. Praise God that we get to do this every year. Yes, we celebrate the Savior every time we come together. But to set aside this time of the year, to close out the year by saying, Thank you, God. As the leaves are all off the trees, as we enter this season where it gets dark really early, as we enter this season of, of darkness, of, you might almost say, a season of death in the sense of what nature is doing right now. And yet there is this light that came into the world. But following this Christmas season comes that new year. That time of new beginnings. That time of being resolute in something. That says, I'm going to exercise more often. I'm going to break those bad habits. I'm finally going to get off Diet Coke. Good luck, preacher. <laughs> Thought I'd had my last one yesterday at breakfast with Santa. And then Stacy came home from Kroger with two more little tin packs, those little cans. But yeah, it's a time of the year that we say, hey, if there's no time like the present to do something right, to do something the right way, to do something new, to make needed changes. Church family, something that we were boldly in our face reminded of yesterday is how blessed we are to have children in our lives how blessed it is when this building is full of them and church family we bear a responsibility 
not an option, not a program. We bear a biblical, godly responsibility to train up those children in the way they should go so that later on they will not depart from it. Amen? And so, there are opportunities to serve. We've got folks that have been upstairs on Sunday mornings for too long. That they need a break. We've got people that have been upstairs on Wednesday nights for too long and they need a break. And there are some fantastic ideas going right now preparing what to do with children's education. But we need people to do it. And if that means that Ron Riley's Sunday morning class is a little thinner, so be it. Or Steve Selby's Sunday morning class is a little thinner, so be it. If that means my Wednesday night class is thinner, I'm okay with that. Not if you're sitting home watching, you know, whatever. But if you're upstairs being about the Father's business and training children up in the way that they should go. Because what do we think as adults? That we're just one more Sunday morning class or one more Wednesday night class from unlocking all the keys of the kingdom? No. That the best way to practice your faith is to serve. You want to know the Bible better? It's not going to be sitting in a class. You want to know the Bible better? Prepare to teach. Because the tendency is, and I'm ready for an amen from anybody who's ever taught a class, the tendency is to over-prepare, right? Yeah. And what you come away with that is saying, I was blessed by putting myself out there and teaching. Now, some of you right now are thinking, oh Greg, there's no possible way I could be in front of a class teaching. And I get it. There are some of you that are not going to be the Peters of the world. But church family, we also need Andrews. We need people who would be present in those classes. People who will be the ones that when that child needs to go to the restroom, that you'll, you'll take them out and you'll make sure they're down the hall. I remember at my former congregation that we always had one or two men that would be present. Uh, they're one, they're one thing, they're monitoring everything in that hallway. But then if a child needed to go to the restroom, they would make sure that they got there. They would make sure that they got back in that classroom safely. We need people who will be like Andrew and serve quietly, but serve a vitally important role. Stacy will tell you that when she's doing children's church on Sunday morning, she's, she's prepared. She's happy to be the teacher. But sometimes she needs those helpers. You better believe she comes in here every Sunday morning, glances around the auditorium, and sees how many kiddos might be in children's church. Now, she doesn't ask for announcements to be made because she says, hey, I'm capable of going and getting my helpers. And she appreciates everybody who is willing to help her down there. Because sometimes she has three or four, six or eight, ten or twelve, 
Sometimes she has 15 or 18. You know, it just depends on what, what that Sunday is and how many folks are here with children. But church family, if we're going to be about the Father's business, it's not about sitting and consuming religion in this place. It's about serving. And as I've pointed out, in no uncertain terms, if you're somebody who just cannot grasp the idea of you teaching a class, we need people who will help. We need people who can help with the craft time or that can help with crowd control or that can help get folks back and forth safely and make sure nobody gets lost along the way. We need Peters and we need Andrews. God's kingdom needs Peters and Andrews. The Hornwall Church of Christ right now, not A year from now, not three years from now, not five years from now, right now, needs people who say, I can be a Peter. I can be an Andrew. Go talk to our elders. Go see Jeff Holbrook. You let these folks know, I am willing. Here I am, send me. I'm willing to step in this role. And church family, you will be amazed at how blessed you will be by stepping out in faith and being willing to, as the saying goes, get your hands dirty a little bit. That you will be blessed by these children. That you will be blessed by that natural tendency of over-preparing. But if we are going to raise up a generation who finds favor with God and man, then we're going to have to help be part of the process and not just be content to leave it to other people. Because that is not, church, what God is calling us to do. He is calling us to be the kind of faith community where we are invested in the future. He is calling us to be the kind of faith community where we dig deeper into God's Word in the process and where we grow because we are willing to serve. May God help us to be those people. If you're with us today, and the story of Jesus and men like Peter and Andrew compel you to want to put on Christ in baptism this morning, then we offer the invitation so that you can come down the aisle right now and confess Jesus as the Son of God and then be immersed in that watery grave and that you can begin life as a new person, a new creation. If you're with us today and there is some kind of need that you have, that you need the prayers of a faithful body, then we're here for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing the song.